I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. A few of you are. The rest? How about the rest of you? You guys doing well? Nice, nice. Good to hear you. Good to hear. Glad you're here. Okay. That's what I was trying to say. And good to hear from you. So God bless you guys. Thanks for being here. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. I'm going to start off with some little trivial uh, matters before we head into the, the, the most important matters, which is the study of God's word. But uh, let me ask you this question. What are the two greatest American spiritual holidays? What are the two greatest American spiritual holidays? Christmas and Super Bowl Sunday. That's right. That's crazy, huh? Now, here's what's crazy is, is half of our staff didn't even know this was Super Bowl Sunday. And what is wrong with them? Why did we hire them? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we're, we're thinking about it based on that, that, that fact alone. So, uh, so let's see who are, uh, who's kind of rooting for the, well, the Chiefs. How many Chief fans? Chief fans? Chief fans? Okay. How many 49er fans? I keep hearing somebody boo every time. How many are just going to watch the commercials? Okay. How many really don't care? <laughs> Even more, more of you uh, are right there. So I'm, I'm, I need to ask you to do this. Please cooperate. Um, we need the chief fans to exit from this door and go out to the back. And the 49er fans uh, will be out to the front. I don't want any fist fights, okay? No fist fights. My wife has been trying to convert me over to being a Chief fan. But I, I tend to be more West Coast. So, uh, you know, I think she's got a hold of my heart, so maybe I will, okay? I'm not sure. But it, it'll be a fun game. So let's get to more serious stuff here, okay? The most important stuff is God's Word. Let me start off with a story here. When it comes to spiritual maturity, and by the way, let me just say that uh, we've been working our way through 1 John, and the title of this series has been Know That You Know God. And to know that you know God <laughs> is heaven on earth. There's nothing quite like that. And as we've been working our way through 1 John, um, we come now to the fourth of the conditions for intimacy with God, and that's grow in maturity. And if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 14. Those were the verses that were just read. Well, let me begin with a story here that when I think of spiritual maturity, I always, this story always comes to mind. A school administrator was wanting to hire a principal 
and two candidates applied for the position. They were both teachers, and one had 10 years experience, the other had 20 years experience. And so he promoted the one with the 10 years experience over the one with 20 years experience, and the one with 20 years experience was outraged came to talk to the administrator and she complained about you know, how she had 20 years experience and why would you hire somebody with only 10 years experience over and above her? And the administrator looked her in the eyes and said, well, that's where you're wrong. They really do have 10 years experience. You only have one year experience repeated 20 times. 20 times. You haven't grown beyond your first year. So so my question for you, have you grown beyond your first year in Christianity? We're going to find out here in a little bit because we're going to look at the stages of of spiritual maturity. And so grab your notes there. Look at the top of your notes here. This is part of the intro. Maturity isn't, let's define what maturity isn't and then we'll talk about what maturity is and then we'll walk through the stages of spiritual growth. But maturity isn't age. You can grow old without growing up. You guys know what I mean? You know a few folks? Okay, yep. Don't point them out in here, though. Okay, so, uh, so you can grow old without growing up. It's not, it's not age. It's not appearance. You can look old and not be mature. It's not activity. You can be very busy doing a lot of great things and not be mature. It's not achievements. You can build a mega church or a Fortune 500 company and not be mature. It's not academics. You can be highly educated and know a lot about the Bible and not be mature. What is spiritual maturity? It's the next point there on your notes there. Next thought. Maturity is becoming more and more like Christ in character and conduct. I gave you a couple of verses. Those are just two verses of many verses in the Bible that talk about this Christ-likeness. And believe me, this is the sweet spot of the Christian life. This is where you want to be, more and more like Christ Jesus. That's the fullness of life that he offers us. There's no better life than that sweet spot of becoming more and more like Jesus. And so nothing could cause problems in your life like immaturity. How you respond to the trials and temptations reveals your maturity or immaturity. So whatever you're facing in life, it's gonna reveal are you mature or immature in your response. And our response to our problems can make the problem either better or worse. And that all has to do with either we're mature or we're immature. And so we started off a few weeks ago at the very first of the year as we we started working through 1 John, and we talked about fellowship with God and joy. The greatest gift of the gospel is God. It's intimacy with him. And that was the foundation we started with. And then we began to build on that foundation with conditions for fellowship. These are signs that you really do have an intimate relationship with God. And we looked at walk in the light, walking in the light, embracing your advocate, love one another. We talked about that last week, and now we come to grow in maturity, grow in maturity. So what are the stages of spiritual growth? What's interesting here is that John talks uh, two times about each of the three stages of spiritual growth. I don't know if you noticed that as we were working through that text, as as that text was being read. And so you can see on your notes, I've got three stages The first stage is childhood. We'll talk about that, what that looks like. And then adolescence would be the next stage. And then the third stage would be adulthood. So childhood, adolescence, adulthood. I had someone last night come up to me and say, there's a fourth stage. It's called senility. (laughs) It's where you forget everything you've ever learned, okay? And that's... uh, 
And so that's not part of the list here, okay? And so childhood, adolescence, adulthood. Let's start with uh, childhood. Childhood. First John chapter 2, verse 12. Listen to what it says. I am writing to you, little children, because, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then jump ahead to verse 13c. So he's kind of repeating it, but he's adding to that. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Because you know the Father. And uh, what is he saying? That in Christ you are no longer condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Doesn't matter what you did in the past, and even what you're maybe currently struggling with, he forgives us of all of our sins, past, present, future. And uh, he forgives us. We're forgiven. The slate is clean. We stand before God perfectly righteous. And he also uh, wants them to understand, too, that um, you are not an orphan anymore. You have a father who loves you, adores you, is taking care of you. And um, to those who are young in the faith, uh, he reminds them of the things that we so easily forget, that our sins are forgiven, we don't have to earn our acceptance with God, and we, we can cease striving to do so. But he also makes very clear that we are no longer futureless, fatherless orphans. Everybody apart from Christ is, is a futureless, fatherless orphan. He says, you're no longer in that category. And in fact, I think he really wants us to understand, anytime I look at this idea of God being our father, I always go back to me being a father and a grandfather. And, and I think of this, that there's no father or grandfather on earth that wants the very best for their child as much as your father in heaven wants for you. That's amazing. That thought alone will get you through anything. That being forgiven, having God as your father. In fact, the Bible uses really intimate language when it refers to God as our father. He's our Abba father, daddy. It was the first words uttered from little uh, Hebrew kids as they were speaking that language. It was Abba. It's It's an intimacy with God. Abba, father. And so John Newton says that the child in Christ, the baby Christian, is somebody who has the remnants of a legalistic spirit. You guys know what a legalistic spirit is? It's works righteousness, feeling like I've got to earn, I've got to earn this right standing with God, this right position with God. And uh, children tend to think that their standing before God and his love for them fluctuates based on their performance. But, but this position that he's talking about here is, is not achieved, but received by grace through faith in Christ. You, you could never achieve it, but you can receive it by grace through faith in him. And, uh, and it's not, and by the way, it says for his namesake. What does that mean, for his namesake? You've been forgiven for his namesake. Because it's not based on what you do, it's based on what has already been done for you. It's been done. You have access into the throne room of God. You have a daddy in heaven who loves you and is watching over you and protecting you and providing for you. You can take that to the bank because it's, it's, a, it's a done deal. Enter into it, experience it, enjoy it. 
That's, that's really, really important to understand. Romans 5.1, I love this verse. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what I've learned in my own life. That uh, So we've been justified by faith. We put our faith in Jesus. We're justified. We stand completely righteous before God. And I have, I have peace with God. Otherwise, I'm an adversary of God. And, and so, but, but now I have peace with God. And uh, having this peace with God, this is how I know that I'm, I'm living out the reality of this peace with God, is that I have a peace in my heart regardless of what I'm facing that goes beyond my understanding. See, to the degree you understand you have peace with God, he's forgiven you, he's your father, you have access to the throne room of God, it's to the degree you're gonna have a peace. You're gonna have a serenity. You're gonna go, God's got me covered. My father's gonna take care of me. He loves me. He adores me. And so it begins to be seen in our life through this, this peace that guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So let me give you some characteristics of immature Christians. And these, these are those that struggle with their position. They don't know their sins are forgiven and they have a father in heaven. And, um, and so here's, it, there's quite a list here. And so I've got three, three points, but on each of these points, there's a, it's loaded. And so children are unstable, self-centered, easily distracted, and gullible. And um, cults thrive and false teachers get wealthy from unstable and gullible immature Christians. Immature Christians tend to be attracted to consumer or moralistic or pragmatistic churches. So consumer, moralistic, uh, pragmatist is really important. How-to, self-help is what I mean by that. And as opposed to a church that is gospel-centered and Christ-centered. And it's focused more on what has been done versus what we do. Now, there are things that we do but it's what has been done that changes what we do. But there's a lot of churches that would preach more about doing, about how you, what you need to do, and it becomes more self-help and how-to and, and more consumer. And, and these are churches that have a low view of God and a high view of man. It's all about focused on you. And... Uh, Therefore, newborn Christians especially need guidance and discipleship. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions, their own passions. There's that self-centeredness. So there's churches out there that will actually promote your self-centeredness. So they suit their own passions rather than a God-centeredness, to where God becomes really big in your view, and you go, oh, wow. There's a sense of awe and wonder. And uh, so there's a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Here's the next one. Children are sensitive to criticism, insecure about what others think about them, reluctant to repent. In other words, they have a hard time taking responsibility and owning up to their mistakes. They're overwhelmed by failure and perpetually question God's love and care for them. 
So they're sensitive and insecure because they don't fully understand their position in Christ. They're overwhelmed by failure because they are working for their identity rather than from their identity. And uh, they're perpetually questioning God's love because they don't live by faith. They live by sight. They live by their feelings. Ephesians um, 4.14, in the context, he's talking about us becoming more like Christ, which is maturity, that we would grow uh, more and more into Christ, becoming more like him. And he says in that context, Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be, so if I become more and more like Christ, we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You're gonna be like chaff blown here and there. There's no stability in your life if you stay there. And here's the next one. Uh, Children intellectually have Christ as their Savior and Lord, but functionally, someone or something else is at the center of their lives, and therefore, they have extreme highs and lows emotionally. And so, uh, so it's one thing to know Christ, he's your Savior and Lord, intellectually, but we're talking functionally, experientially, that he's really, really at the center of your life. And because he's not at the center of our lives, oftentimes it creates extreme highs and lows emotionally, depending on how their career is going or whether certain people like them or approve of them or notice them. They're just riding a roller coaster. Now, the best uh, commentary for scripture is what, anybody? It's scripture. It's always scripture. So if you wanna know a little bit more about a particular topic, you need to look uh, for it in scripture someplace else that talks about that and it gives you a better understanding. Here's some great verses that are good cross-references. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. I'm gonna walk through these verses because I think it helps us to understand a little bit more of this childhood. And he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people in the flesh, of the flesh. And then he defines what he's talking about. As infants in Christ, you're still children. And he makes this distinction between the spirit and the flesh. The spirit is being led by Christ, obviously Christ-centered, and the the flesh is being led by your own sinful nature, your self-centeredness. And all of us kind of live in our life in one or the other or go back and forth between the two. But, But when we're living in the flesh, he's just saying, you're immature. You're not gonna be responding to life circumstances the way you need to respond. And, and uh, he says, as infants in Christ, you are infants in Christ. And he goes on, he says, I fed you with milk, not solid food. So we'll look at that. What does that mean? What's solid food? What's milk? And uh, for you were not ready for it. So I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still, still of the flesh. You're still immature. And then he kind of defines a little bit more of what that looks like if you're immature. He says, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh behaving only in a human way? And so he says, you're immature because there's jealousy and strife among you. And then verse four, he says, for when one says, I follow Paul, another, uh, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Aren't you immature, don't you understand this? You're, you're walking in the flesh, you're just like everybody else. Driven and led by their sinful nature. So your jealousy and strife is showing your immaturity, but your identity 
misplaced on following maybe denominations or churches or, or certain overemphasized doctrines like Calvinism or Arminianism, pushing to some extremes in, in either way, or, or celebrity pastors rather than following Christ and you're not following Christ, so you have a party spirit that's showing your immaturity. So when, when people ask you, um, who are you, I hope that you don't say, you know, you list your denomination or whatever, your particular belief you're embracing or any number of things, or your celebrity pastor, or I follow him or whatever, uh, that you say, I'm a Christian. I love Christ. He saved my life. It's about him. Heard a testimony a number of years ago. It was from a big church here in the valley. And it was, it was an interesting testimony because typically at the end of testimonies, I always ask this question, well, who's the hero of this story? And when you listen to the testimony, the hero of, of this guy's story was the church, was that church, that particular church. Anytime, you don't want to go to a church that promotes their church over and above Christ, Okay. And that's exactly what that church was doing and, and continues to do. And, uh, and you want a church that's Christ-centered, that's gospel-centered, because that's what we desperately need more, more than anything. And the children struggle with their position in Christ, uh, that they're forgiven and they're a child of God. Basic message, this is the basic message of the gospel. Now, being able to articulate the gospel with accuracy is one thing, but having its truth captivate your soul is quite another. And so you're not gonna move beyond childhood unless you can articulate the gospel, but more importantly, the gospel has a hold of your heart and life. By the way, there's a class this Wednesday, February the 5th, God's Plan for Humanity. You can sign up online, but that's exactly what that class is about, learning how to articulate the gospel, but better yet, how to, uh, how to be captivated by the gospel and then being able to share that with others. I would encourage you to, to take that class. And so let's talk a little bit about the gospel. It's important to always remind ourselves of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son to die in our place for our sins. And all who repent and believe in him have everlasting life. This is the life we all long for more than anything. And it's, uh, it's, it's putting our faith in the personal work of Jesus Christ and, uh, and that's important. You need to be able to articulate that. Because oftentimes I'll ask people if they know the gospel and they'll repeat maybe some of the, the benefits of the gospel. Well, I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. You know, I've been adopted into his family. I've been reconciled. Well, those are all the benefits of the gospel. That's not the gospel. No, the gospel is what Christ has done, who Christ is and what he's done for us. So when you quote the gospel, when you're saying the gospel, that's what you need to say. You need to be able to articulate it and better yet, it needs to captivate your heart. Otherwise, you're, you're gonna stay in childhood. So let's move from childhood now to uh, adolescence. And uh, 1 John 2, 13, he says this, uh, 13b, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then jump ahead to verse 14b, he says, I write to you, young men. He kind of elaborates on this point. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. Why are they strong? Because the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. How do they overcome the evil one? Because 
God's word abides in them, and they are strong. That's what he's saying. So, so here's, here's where you begin to grow up. You move out of spiritual babyhood and into adolescence. Adolescence is where God starts to call you to face things without the sense of his presence and his love. It's God saying to you, hey, hey, it's time for you to cross the street by yourself. That's God speaking to us. And uh, so babyhood is marked by high feelings. So babyhood is marked by high feelings and low knowledge of the truth. High feelings and little, little or no knowledge of the truth or low knowledge of the truth. Adolescence is marked by low feelings, so lower feelings and a higher knowledge of the truth, uh, growing knowledge of the truth. Let me go back to verse 14 to show you that. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. How are you gonna grow strong? The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And so... Um, what happens here is that you begin to mistrust your own heart and trust God's word to lead and guide you. You become more dependent upon God and his word and not your feelings. Your feelings aren't leading the way. It's the fact of God's word. That's, that's adolescent. You begin to move into that. And um, so, so let me give you a definition for our emotions or our feelings. We'll put those all in the same category. Uh, emotions reveal your values and evaluations of life and influence your motives and conduct. That's a definition by Brian Borkman from his book, Feelings and Faith. It's really a great book. I would encourage you to read that. But emotions reveal your values. For, for instance, some of you, uh, whoever you're rooting for in the Super Bowl, and they're doing really well, you're gonna get excited, woo, yeah, oh, wow. that was good. Maybe not that excited, but, but you'll get excited. Why? Because you value that. You get excited about things that you're, you value. And so your emotions reveal that, but they also reveal something else about you. They you evaluate, they show you how you're evaluating life. They reveal how you are evaluating life. So, so you, you're facing a really hard time, and if you're freaking out, it's because you, you have forgot, you've totally forgotten to add into the equation of whatever you're facing that God is for you and not against you, that he will take care of you. And so it's just revealing that to you, that you're, you have this extreme anxiety and extreme whatever, anger or whatever it is. It's just saying, wait, 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 time out. It's revealing your evaluation of your life circumstances, and you need to get back to the truth of God's word. And so the traditional culture, more religious culture, says deny your feelings. What does our mod uh, modern culture say about our feelings? Express your feelings. I mean, this is why we have uh, same-sex marriages, and we have uh, transgender issues because everybody's living out of their feelings rather than the fact of God's word. And that's why we're getting into more and more chaos when it comes to, to morality and where people are living and how they're living out their life. So traditional culture says deny your feelings. Modern culture says express your feelings. Christian culture says, you need to know this, reorder your feelings According to God's word, that's why I love the book of Psalms. It's so raw and it helps me every morning to reorder my feelings, to make sure my feelings are consistent with the truth of God's word 
reeling those negative feelings back in and aligning it with what God, God's word says. And so you reorder your feelings according to God's word and also by loving God with all of your heart and then you will love everything else appropriately, keeping them in their proper place. One of our biggest problems is disordered feelings or disordered loves. We love a whole lot of things in this world more than we love God, and that creates problems in our lives. And so God's word is meant to bring us back to his word and what he says. That's our reality. So you don't feel your way into your beliefs, but you believe your way into feelings. We are to train our feelings to follow faith in God's word. Feelings arise from faith that is built upon the fact of God's word. And uh, when you allow feelings to determine faith in fact for you, spiritual disaster occurs. It's not going to go well for you. And so you know that you're, you're, you've moved from childhood to adolescence when, here's your next fill in the blanks. You were wondering when I was going to get to that, weren't you? Here we are. So when you know the difference between junk food, milk, and solid food, you begin to be able to identify it. You can say, oh, that's junk food, um, or that's, that's milk, or that's solid food. Junk food is anything that uh, feeds your sinful nature, your self-centeredness versus your God-centeredness. You want to go to a church that stirs up appetite for God, and it's very God-centered. And what happens is that junk food suppresses your appetite for God and his word, Junk food can also be cotton candy theology. It can be a, a cheap grace that is promoted in our culture today in many churches and on TV and on the radio, kind of a cheap grace as opposed to a costly grace. God forgives and loves everybody is what they say without much mention of, of the cross and the wrath of God and sin and all of those things that we need to deal with. So that's a, that would be a cheap grace as opposed to a costly grace. And um, it's important to be able to make the distinction between the two. Now, when we have had our nine grandkids over for a few days, we learn quickly that their diet has a major impact on their health and behavior, okay? Believe me. Because we realized that we feed them full of junk food, they're going to kill us. All nine of them. They're out of control. I mean, my goodness, jealousy and strife with them. And it's because of, it was primarily because of their diet. Now, some of it was because they're children. And that was easier to correct. But man, when, when they're high on sugar, believe me, it's crazy. I usually just lock myself in the room and I hide out. Yeah, it's just like, I'm not going out there. No, you need to come out here, Grandpa. We want to wrestle with you. Oh, you're going to hurt me. And so diet makes a major difference in our lives. Now think about this. Think about this. Think about your diet. What are you feeding on every day? If you're spending hours on TV or radio, what kind of TV and radio are you listening to? Is it, is it something that's nurturing you spiritually, stirring up an appetite for God, or is it suppressing that appetite for God. I mean, if we just turned the TV off for one night, how about doing this? Turn the TV off and sit there 
and just listen to praise music and maybe get into God's word and study it. My wife and I do this quite regularly, by the way, and we sit there and we discuss, and she shares with me what she's learning, and I share with her what I'm learning. Oh, my goodness, it is sweet. It's absolutely amazing. I love it. And, man, we both kind of get recalibrated and refocused. We go, yes, he is for us, and he's going to take care of us. Yes, high five. You know, so we... uh, and imagine the difference it would make if you just understood the difference between junk food, milk, and solid food. And if you were to give my grandkids a choice between junk food or solid food, what do you think they'd want? Oh, my goodness. They would choose junk food all day long. All day long. So we kind of change their diet. And once in a while, Grandpa will go out and buy donuts for them. And from time to time, we do give them a dessert after every meal. (laughs) But they they eat good food. They eat good food in there. And there's nothing wrong from time to time, but we've known, man, we gotta watch that, what they're eating, because it makes a difference in their their behavior, how they're behaving. And and so it, it is true with you. Listen to what John Piper says. He puts it this way. If we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, It is not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Our soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. If we we are full of what the world offers, then perhaps a fast might express or even increase our soul's appetite for God. Like fasting the internet, you know, your phone. Set your phone down. Quit surfing the internet. Quit doing all that. Spend time with him. That's really, really important. And, um, and it will change you. It will absolutely change you. So let's talk about what is the difference between, so we got, we've got that whole junk food down. Uh, we kind of understand that. What about milk and solid food? It, milk and solid food versus solid food is described here in Hebrews uh, 5, chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Listen to what he says all the way to chapter 6, verse 1. He says, about this, we have much to say, and he's just shared with them some pretty deep theology, and he says, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. What does that mean to be dull of hearing? It means you're just coming to church and checking the box. That's dull of hearing. You're wondering, when is this going to be over? You're looking at your clock. How long is this guy going to go? For a long time, okay? <laughs> and, um, and so, or it's, it's this. I've heard people say this. Oh, I've heard all that stuff before. Well, apparently you haven't really heard it because you wouldn't be saying that. You'd be digging in. You'd be going, oh my goodness, this is so good. Because when God's speaking to you through his word, it doesn't matter who's up here. You just love him and you love his word and you're gonna dig in. You want to know him. And so that's why he says here about dull of hearing. You become dull of hearing, you're apathetic, you're lethargic versus having a zeal and spiritual fervor for God. So, so you should be every weekend sitting on the edge of your seat going, oh God, speak to me. I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want to grow in my relationship with you. Teach me more about you. And he will. And you'll grow. And it'll be amazing. And you'll love it. And so, okay. He goes on, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Ooh, that's harsh. 
So if you've been a Christian for a few years, by this time you should be a teacher. I believe that all Christians should be teaching the gospel in God's word. Not maybe like this up here, but at least with maybe your children, with your coworkers, with your spouses. Not, not like you have a lot of spouses there that didn't, <laughs> that didn't, that didn't come out right. I meant, I was speaking generally, okay? Okay, that was messed up. <laughs> this guy is messed up. He believes in multiple spouses. No, I didn't say that, okay? Don't run out of here. And... So, okay. So you ought to be sharing the gospel, articulating the gospel, talking about the gospel, talking about how the gospel applies to our lives, every aspect of our lives. And, uh, and so for, the, for though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, which are the basics of the Christian faith, not solid food. And then he goes on to kind of define what the solid food is in verse uh, 13 and 14. Listen to what he says. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So, so the word of righteousness, since he is a child, as it says, so if you're just on milk all the time, you're going to be unskilled in how to take God's word and apply it to the specific areas of your life and what that means to live out of the gospel as the gospel to center of your life. And he goes on, he says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I mean... If you ask uh, even a lot of American Christians about what, what is evil, you know, they would come up with a definition, oh, like uh, mass murder or, or any number of things, or that's evil. Well, that's pretty obvious. But did you know that it's evil to love anything more than you love God? That's evil, the Bible says. And so you begin to distinguish between evil and good in your own life and are able to say, when you're watching certain programs, that's food poisoning. That's not going to be helpful for me. That's reinforcing my sinful nature and my flesh. It's celebrating sin in that movie. My wife and I are hard-pressed to find movies that are actually decent out there. There are very few movies anymore. They seem to be getting worse and worse for some reason. And I, I refuse to eat food poisoning. I've had it once. It's horrible, okay? Went to Mexico and got food poisoning. E, that was bad. And uh, that's food poisoning. It will poison your life. And uh, you need to know also what junk food is. Just eating junk food as opposed to milk and solid food. And so, so it's interesting. Anytime you read a text, you always want to read it in the context. And the context here is that uh, the Hebrew writer is writing to people who have received the gospel, but because of severe persecution and suffering, they were beginning to question the, val the validity of Christ's claims and had forgotten many of the basics of the Christian faith, and therefore they were not growing into maturity. So here's my question for you. If you're growing into maturity, do you know how to proclaim and practice the gospel and help others to apply the gospel to every part of their lives? If I were to send a couple to you that's, that they're struggling in their marriage, would you be able to sit down with them and kind of walk them through the biblical principles on marriage and how to have healthy relationships? Or they're struggling with parenting and you could take them to texts of scripture that talk about that. Or, or they're, they're struggling in their finances and you could take them to 
text of scripture that would help them with their finances. Or someone that's struggling with anxiety. Do you know how to help a person with anxiety? Or, or anger? Or depression? By this time, you should be a teacher of God's word. Sitting down with people. By the way, that will, that will drive you into God's word when you're elbow deep in people's problems. And they're sitting across the table with you and they're pouring out their heart to you. You're going, oh my goodness, I don't even know what to say. I need to dive into God's word more to really have some answers here for them, to help them. And, and that's what happens. That's why ministry, that's, uh, you know, you need diet and rest, but you also need exercise. And exercise is getting involved in other people's lives. We call them small groups here. And that's happening a lot in, in our small groups. And so verse Chapter 6, verse 1 of Hebrews, he says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So you know you're moving from childhood to adolescence when you know the difference between junk food, milk, and solid food. You need to be able to make that distinction. And uh, here's the next, is that you are less dependent upon others feeding you and begin to learn to feed yourself. You begin to learn to feed yourself. Matthew 4.4, 4, it says, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So here's my question for you. Are you as concerned about your spiritual diet as you are for your physical diet? Here's what's crazy is that people are piling up all kinds of things for this Super Bowl party at their house, and they're very conscientious about what they're going to buy and what they're going to do, how they're going to make it. And Are you just as concerned about your spiritual diet as you are about your physical diet you need to be there's, there's, you're showing some signs of unhealthiness and immaturity and so, so how do you kind of how do you feed yourself let me kind of give you three steps here of what this might look like in feeding yourself here's the first one are you able to take God's word and cut it up into bite sized pieces through observation interpretation and application observation what does it say interpretation what does that mean Application, how do I apply this to my life? Are you able to do that? By the way, we have a class starting this Monday night. It's on how to study the Bible. And it'll take you through those steps. And it's really a great class. Everybody that I've talked to that have gone through the class just rave over the class. And so that'll teach you how to do that. But you need to be able to do that. Cut it up into bite-sized pieces, put it in your mouth, you chew on it. Here's the second stage. You chew on it, you taste it, you think, you turn it over on the palate of your heart, you let it melt in your mouth. You let, tr let the truth you're looking at lead you into prayer. And you begin to connect with God over the truth of God's word as God speaks to you. Third stage is that you swallow it and digest it and it becomes a part of you. Applying it, you know, you, you apply it, making it a part of the deep structures of your psyche, of your life. And you begin to ask these questions as it relates to the truth. If I take this truth seriously, how does it make a difference in the way that I'm going to live today? How will this truth have an impact on the way I live? And so spiritual growth is directly related to an increase in understanding and application of God's revelation, God's word. And here's the next one. Our living by faith, and here's, I'm defining it based on a definition by uh, C.S. Lewis, I love his, his quote here. So, are, are living by faith, so you're moving, you're moving from childhood into adolescence when you are living, living a life of faith, which is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. 
There's a stability in your life. You're not living by your feelings. You're living by the fact of God's word. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that we live by faith and not by what? Sight, feelings. See, he wants you to do things not just because you sense his presence and he has you by the hand, but because you have begun to understand his mind and his heart through his word. And you know his heart, whether you feel like it or not, you're moving on it because that's what ultimately honors him and brings glory to him, regardless of your feelings. And so you will never get out of adolescence until you learn to, to along with really studying God's word, but also along with uh, learning to diligently obey all that he commands whether you agree with him or not and patiently accepting all that he brings into your life whether you understand it or not and enjoying him, he in himself more than anything in this life. That's part of growing from childhood into adolescence and beginning to move beyond that. You also never get out of spiritual adolescence until you stop the pity party and the attitude of entitlement and the temper tantrums of children. Have you ever seen an adult throw a temper tantrum? It ain't pretty. I worked with a guy for a number of, for a few years. It was horrible. He was like a 60-year-old baby, just would throw temper tantrums regularly. He's just like, grow up, dude. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's horrible. Childhood is growing in our position in Christ of our forgiveness and being a child of God and the implications to both of those are innumerable. And then adolescence is growing in God's power to overcome the evil one through abiding in God's word. Now, just a quick note before we move into adulthood. There is an age-appropriate behavior. So if you're a young Christian, you're still a, a child. And that's understandable. But at some point, you've got to move beyond childhood into adolescence. And if you're kind of at that adolescent stage, that's understandable, but if you stay there, there's something wrong. You need to move into adulthood. And the goal is always adulthood. Now, by the way, all of us tend to fall back into adolescence and childhood from time to time. Do you notice that? Sometimes I can be a big baby, and I want to pout. I want to have a lot of self-pity. I want to throw a temper tantrum, okay? But I recognize, ah, that's pretty immature. I need to move beyond that. I need to base my life on what your word says. And so uh, we all tend to do that. We tend to go back to childhood, adolescence. It doesn't mean that we, those are behind us, but we can still struggle with that. But the goal is adulthood. And here it is, 1 John 2. And he repeats the same thing in verses 13 and 14. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Do you hear what he's saying? <laughs> I love that. He has a very high view of God. The one from the beginning? The one from the beginning? Yes. Yes. Genesis, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That God. I know that God. I have a relationship with the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth. And that's what he's talking about. That's adulthood. This is a high view of God. And you will rise or fall based on your high or low view of God. What would be a high view of God? Well, Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So it would be the fear of the Lord. 
What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is a joyful awe and wonder and even a trembling over the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for you that ruins you for anything else. You want to live your life to honor him. You want him more than anything. That's adulthood. And you're going to do everything you can to stir that heart up and that appetite for God. And uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 20, he says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And this is thinking like an adult, that you have this very high view of God, low view of man, and, um, and that's important. So the advanced stage of Christianity is knowing God and really communing with him. That's your next fill in the blank. So what does that mean, adulthood? Knowing God and really communicating with him. John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, that we may know God and, uh, and know his son. It says, for this is eternal life, that we may know God and his son. And, and as we live that out, the word know here in that verse is... Um, is, is gnosko, and it means not just knowing about God, but truly knowing him. And, and not only that, as you know him, you're gonna know the specific areas of your life where he is currently working, and you, you gotta be able to articulate that. Say, hey, this is where I'm struggling, this is what's going on in my life. Unless, of course, you've got it all together. Anybody here like that? Okay, if you say, I got it all together, I, I really don't know what he's up to right now, then you need to understand what he's up to in your life. Do you have a relationship with him? You understand what that means? Well, guess what? He's going to be working on you because he loves you. He has your best interest at heart. No one loves you like he does. And so you're going to be aware of those areas. What makes a Christian a Christian is not that you know about God, but that you know him. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And so here's the next one, maintaining spiritual disciplines. This is adulthood, maintaining spiritual disciplines that don't just heat up in hardship, but are consistently fervent because you absolutely love the presence of God more than anything. So, it's, so you begin to shift over to this idea that it's no longer about coming to him to get from him, but to be with him. That becomes the focus of your life. You begin to realize, it begins to dawn on you more and more that having God in your life is greater than you deserve and beyond what you ever dreamed. Oh my goodness, you want him. Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You need to do those things that stir up your heart for God. Embracing times, here's the next one. Adulthood is embracing times of intense wrestling with God for you and others' progress and joy in the faith. And, that, and so adulthood is, is getting on your knees and pouring out your heart to God or pacing the floor late into the evening and pouring your heart out to him because you want him more than anything. And you're trying to overcome maybe some things in your life. Or you're doing that for others. Listen to what uh, Paul says, Galatians 4.19. My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Do you ever feel like that with your kids or your grandkids? Oh my goodness, I do. I pray for this congregation like that. I pray for my kids and my grandkids like that. Oh Lord, please save them, rescue them. Help them to know that that your love is better than life. And, um, and so this wrestling is a, a little bit like Jacob wrestling with the angel uh, 
And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's Genesis 32. Or like Exodus 33, like Moses who said to God, show us your glory. Here's what he was saying. We would rather wander around in the wilderness with your glory and presence rather than to go into the promised land without your glory and presence. We want you. Bring in all the suffering. It doesn't matter. If we've got you, we can face it. That's what he's saying. That's adulthood. That's what it means to be an adult. So if you can't tell me the last time that you sat down and prayed and and felt you were actually talking with God, that he actually hears you and you felt his presence, you felt his love poured out into your heart, you poured yourself out to him, and you came out feeling that you know and are known by the only one in the universe that matters, if, if, if that isn't experienced by you from regularly, then you're missing out on the best part of the Christian life. Intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. And so where are you in these stages of spiritual growth? You ought to be able to identify where you are, where you struggle. And then maybe even what are your next steps so that you can begin to continue to grow in Christ. Uh, next weekend, we'll, we'll head into, we'll finish up uh, conditions for fellowship. We, we head into two conditions or cautions f- uh, to fellowship. And the first one we'll look at next week, don't love the world, what that means to love the world more than we love God. First John 2, 15 through 17. My wife and I will be up front here at the end of the service. And uh, if you're new, we would love to meet you. Matt and Deborah Trusella, Matt, our, one of our elders, Uh, they'll be up here in the front also. If you need prayer for any reason, please come up and let them pray with you. And uh, so let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. So Father God, help us to grow in our position of being totally forgiven and your dearly loved children, giving us a solid foundation for our faith. And help us to grow in your power working in us to overcome the evil one by abiding in your word, and help us to grow in understanding the greatest gift of the gospel, which is you. Intimacy with you is life's most freeing and satisfying reality. Let us not focus on being like Jesus as much as we focus on being with him, which is the key to being like him. And as we mature, may we come alongside of others, helping them to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful and powerful name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys. God bless you.